is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. I'm your host, Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, a podcaster, and not a juror in Midland County, Michigan. So there you have it. Uh, I'm alone again tonight. I have quite a few things to, to rant about this evening that I think you might find entertaining. kind of hoping so. But uh, before we get going, I just wanted to thank uh, the people who support this in every episode of the Alan Mead Experience. Premier Dental Products, Inspired Solutions for Daily Dentistry. I'm going to be talking a little bit about some of their products later on in the show. Uh, actually, it's going to fit in with some of the things I, I want to talk about. But basically, a couple things. First off, we have a Facebook group uh, for the Alan Mead Experience. And I always forget to say this, so I'm going to say it right up front. We, I would love to have you, if you are a listener to this this podcast, I would love to have you in the Alan Mead Experience Facebook group. And all you have to do is go on Facebook and search the Alan Mead Experience, and it'll ask you for a password. And the password is Premier, as in Premier Dental Products, the people who support this show. But uh, I'm not letting anyone in, and none of the moderators are going to let you in unless you know that it's Premier. So I don't mean to to keep people out, but it's how it's how you prove your credibility with us. So... If you want to join the Alan Mead Experience Facebook group, and I think you totally should because it's a really fun group. It's pretty intimate. It's It's got a lot of the fun stuff in the Dental Hacks Nation, but it's smaller, a little bit more intimate. Uh, I think it's I think it's worth joining. So, again, password is Premier. The other thing I want to talk a little bit about is the Voices of Dentistry Summit. It's coming up in January of 2018, January 26th and 27th of 2018. And it's going to be in Scottsdale, Arizona. And it's going to be at a resort. It's the uh, Doubletree Resort in Scottsdale. I did have a chance to go check out the Doubletree, and it was nothing short of amazing. I loved it. I really did. I loved the whole thing. I, I snuck in and was just walking around. We, I did meet with our meeting planner. Her name is Natalie. She's very cool. She showed me all the stuff where uh, – she showed me the place where we're going to be. Uh, it's just – it's head and shoulders above where we were in Nashville last year, and frankly – I really enjoyed Nashville anyhow. Nashville is pretty great, but this place is just really nice. It's I have to tell you that if you are even thinking about coming, you definitely need to sign up. If you're thinking about bringing your family, do it. Do it. If you're good, if you're thinking about bringing your family at all, definitely do it because if you got like little kids, they got two awesome pools. Um it's like a compound within this. It's it's just very cool. And Scottsdale is a really cool town, and honestly, all the cool stuff in in Scottsdale appears to be walkable to me. Um, I was at I was staying at a different resort actually, just a block or two down from the DoubleTree, and everything was very walkable. So the weather's going to be great. You know, Scottsdale, Arizona is in the seventies during January. You know, so not a hard sell for a dude who's going to be. It will have been dark and cold for several months in Michigan by that time. So, and our lineup is second to none. Um, I will try and post a copy of our lineup, but it is insanely good. It's a bunch of podcasters, dental podcasters that you're probably familiar with, but we've got some non-podcasters too. Um, just really cool. Like, for instance, we've got uh, Brady Frank, Dr. Brady Frank's going to be talking. Uh, Dr. Jameson Spencer is going to be there. We had him on the Dental Hacks podcast. He was amazing. 
He's probably one of the best, like, TMJ and actually uh, sleep apnea and, you know, dental sleep medicine speakers on the circuit today. He's very well known for that. He has the Spencer Study Club. Uh, just really cool stuff. We've got Scott Leune is going to be there, who is basically uh, the startup master. He's going to come in and, and do a talk. we got some really great people coming. Uh, and it's an inexpensive meeting, even if you're paying full price, even if you don't have a coupon. Now, here's the deal. Coupon VOD 200 may still be working. We left it up for some of the stragglers, so it may still be working. I don't know if it will or not. We will probably come up with another coupon, too, before uh, for too long. But bottom line, even if you're paying full price, it's it's not very expensive. It's like 897 bucks full price. I'm looking at some other similar kind of meetings, and they're charging way more than we are. And we have a better, we have a much better lineup by far. So sign up, voicesofdentistry.com. Go get your ticket. You're going to see me there. You'll see Jason there, uh, Dr. Mark Costas, the dentist implants and worms guys. We're the ones hosting it. Bunch of great, great podcasters. And there will be lots of live podcasting going on. So if you want to sit in on an episode of the Allen Meat Experience or the Dental Hacks Brain Trust or anything like that, you can you can sit in. It's going to be great. I can hardly wait. It's about three months away. Uh, in some ways, that seems like it's it's like a long ways away. I got to wait for three months. And in some ways, especially if you're a planner of this meeting, you're like, holy crap, it's only three months away. So we're kind of right there. We'd love to get you signed up. And the other reason to sign up now, get your room because the rooms apparently are going really quickly. There's not going to be a lot of rooms left in too long in our block, So, which is great for us, but it would stink to have to come like from a different resort. They got a lot of nice resorts there, but it'd be more fun if you were at the resort where we're having it. So that's all the talk I'm going to do about the voice of dentistry. I've been beating that one to death. So here's the deal. I want to talk about a couple things, but the thing that has been it really influenced my week. <laughs> it really, I don't know how to say it other than it got me thinking about things I, I don't normally think about. I um, I have jury duty. A couple months ago, I got uh, you know, something from the county that said I had jury duty. And uh, you're supposed to fill out like a questionnaire that just gives a little bit of your demographic information. You can also, if you think for some reason you need to be excused for, for jury duty for whatever reason, you can fill that out. Well, I had already bought my plane ticket to go to Scottsdale for the BioClear Learning Center Summit. So I told them that much. So they gave me the first half of October off. You know, I I, I threw myself at them thinking, uh, thinking maybe as a dentist with employees that were counting on me and, you know, patients on my schedule that they would cut me a little slack. They they were not. They were unimpressed by my uh, by my prose about how important I was to everyone around me in the dental world. So I did have to uh, call in uh, for the second half of October. And I called last weekend, just about this time actually last weekend. And uh, lo and behold, they said, you got to report on Monday. So that means I had a big full schedule on Monday and I had to move everyone. And actually, we only moved the morning to start with because who knew? Everyone always talks about going into jury duty and just waiting around for a couple minutes and being excused. And so I thought maybe that was going to be the case. So we were hoping against hope. And it isn't, honestly, I have to say, I am perfectly willing to sit on a jury. I, I feel like it is my civic duty. And I think I think it's kind of cool. The concept of sitting in on a jury is interesting to me. But the hardship is real, too. I mean, like, I think more about it, I think more about it for my employees because they're used to getting a certain amount of hours every week. And if I'm, like, not there, kind of hard for them to get their hours in. 
I mean, I, I can keep some of them going, but if I'm not doing anything, it's pretty hard to have, you know, multiple assistants sitting around doing nothing. So that, that sort of a, that was sort of a drag, you know? Um, so I showed up on Monday morning and, um, there was probably better, better than a hundred people in the courtroom that were, that were reporting for the jury duty thing. And I had not been paying attention to anything locally at all. Like I hadn't been reading the paper. I hadn't been, you know, like I, I just knew that I had to show up in judge Karras's, you know, courtroom and, and I was going to follow their direction. So I showed up, which is weird because, you know, I, uh, amazingly enough, I have avoided the courts pretty well. <laughs> I, I haven't had much need to be in our courthouse for any reason. Interestingly, my brother-in-law uh, was a circuit court judge in this very same courtroom that I was in for like six years. And I did see him in court a couple times while he was there, but I've never been in court for anything for myself. That's not quite true. I had to pay a, a parking ticket. It was on a whole different floor. Uh, I was a speeding ticket. I mean, it was a parking ticket. Yeah. Whole different floor. I paid that. Uh, they didn't put me in handcuffs. They didn't. And I was able to leave after I was done paying. So really wasn't too traumatic of an experience, but um, this was, I was compelled to be here as a juror, you know, because if you don't show up, they uh, issue a bench warrant for you. Like basically you are in contempt of court if you don't show up when they tell you to. So I was going to show up. So I got there and immediately waited in line for a while. I got there a little early cause I was kind of nervous. I wanted to make sure I was in the right place. I wanted to make sure I knew where to park and all this stuff. And you could tell something big was going on. Like, First off, there were 100 people there, and I'll bet you at least half of them got there as early as I did, right? Like, I can't believe anyone's as nervous about that stuff as I am. I'm always the guy who's there, you know. I'm always early for everything, and that's just that's just how I roll. But I was really surprised to see this many people this early. And there was some rumbling, although I didn't recognize anyone. I didn't know anyone uh, that was waiting with me. So I didn't really talk to anyone about it. And so I went in, and I was basically just keeping my head down and listening to what was going on. So that... We all sat down, and the court was just jammed, just jammed. I got there early enough where I didn't like have to sit in the in the jury box or whatever. I kind of sat in the little peanut gallery with keeping my head down. But so people filed in. Oh, and it was so awkward too. You like they they started the process, the proceedings right on time. You're supposed to be there at eight eight forty five, and they started at eight forty five. And there were people that freaking rolled in, like they swore us in that we would tell the truth about the questions they were going to ask us for jury. And like four or five people rolled in late and they made the, they, all the proceedings stopped and they had to be sworn in individually. It was, it was ridiculous and cringeworthy. The whole thing was, but so they sat us down, they gave us an oath that we would answer any questions asked of us, honestly, about becoming a juror. And then they, they launched in, uh, the, the judge, I knew I was in trouble when the judge said this was the most interesting case he had ever seen and that would ever be in, you know, in his courtroom, he's never seen anything quite so interesting. And you're like, ooh, that's that's something. So, so it turns out that this case was a murder case, and the murder it was a cold case. The alleged murder had taken place 26 years ago. Okay, so that was interesting. Like, this was a case that happened, you know, 26 years ago, and I think it made the papers then. I I don't remember it specifically. I was actually in dental school at that point. I think. Uh, if, if I'm doing my math correctly, maybe I was in college, but either way, I was, in, I was probably in college, but either way, I, w- I wasn't reading the newspapers, the local newspapers or anything like that. But murders are not super common <laughs> in my neck of the woods. We're, we're sort of a simple rural people. Um, so this was a big deal. 
Like I realized what was happening, and and my dad, like literally at like nine o'clock in the morning, my dad texts going, "My gosh, it's a murder case. Are you on the murder case?" So that was a big deal. Like we, so I showed up for jury, and it was a murder case. So in rolls the defense attorney and the um the defendant, uh, and then also the the prosecutor, and like actually there was someone from the attorney, the state attorney general's office to help prosecute it. So the prosecutor side had like. Five guys or whatever on their side, and the and the defense just had the defense attorney. They had the defendant, and then the defense attorney had an assistant. And as it turned out, that assistant was the the defense attorney's son, who was probably a college age kid. And uh, the defendant was in a wheelchair. Um, and so that's interesting when you see. And he it turns out he's about fifty. He's early fifties. He definitely looked. He looked like he'd been ridden hard and put up wet. He definitely he looked older than early fifties, and he he you know his body looked kind of wasted and his hair was crazy and his eyes were crazy. It was a little scary. And I was sitting just a couple couple rows behind him. So, like when you know you're supposed to look at everything as uh you know innocent before you know innocent before proven guilty, and you could tell that it was going to be hard for some people because he looked kind of. He looked pretty rough. Let's just say that. But you know, I I was I hadn't heard anything about the story. I hadn't heard anything about the the case or anything at all. So I was I would have been their perfect juror, honestly, because I hadn't heard I know anything, right? Like I I the case was completely new to me. There was no evidence that I had heard at all. Uh, I looked at the the defendant and he looked pretty crazy. But other than that, I certainly didn't know anything about it. And so then they started they started uh, drawing names. They basically explained that they were going to draw names. And this was where it got really, it got really sweaty because you're like, okay, it was an interesting case. You could tell it was going to be an interesting thing to be on. Um, we were all there chosen as jurors, and so they were drawing names, and you're kind of like, oh, and they also said that the case was going to take two weeks. It was a two-week case. And the judge was quite sure that it wouldn't take any more than two weeks. He sort of gave the, <laughs> the stink eye to both the lawyers that yes, indeed, this was not going to take any more than a week or two weeks, but still two weeks for a trial with you know, the jury has to basically be away from whatever they're doing for two weeks. That's a big ask on by any standard, I think. So that with that in mind, they started drawing names. And so they drew 14 names for people to sit in the juror box. So there were 12 jurors and two alternates. And then I think they drew another 12 names to be basically the fill-ins. Um, so... But far and away, you were if you weren't drawn in the first what twenty six, uh, you still were very much on the hook. You couldn't go anywhere. But but I was never drawn in that first round at all. My name wasn't drawn. So from there, they started asking questions. Some of the questions, the, some of the basic questions were like, "Are you, is there anyone here who medically can't do this?" And there were a few that that claimed that they medically couldn't. And then they went through and asked if anyone could, you know, felt that they couldn't be that they had a bias that they couldn't get past and no one did. It was interesting because they talked a lot about, you know, um, innocent, you know, presumed innocence. They talked a lot about what circumstantial evidence is versus direct evidence. They talked a lot about legal things to try and make sure people understood what they were getting into. And you could tell that there are probably lots of people thinking one thing, but saying what they thought that the, you know, the prosecutors wanted to hear. So the bottom line was that like, there were a bunch of people that were chosen for this jury and most of them didn't want to be there. Most of them were making it perfectly obvious that they did not want to be there. They were, <laughs> they were uninterested. And, and so what happened was they, they would, 
go through and ask a ton of questions. And some of them got very personal. Like it turns out one of the people that ended up being on the jury, her parents had been killed in a, in a drunk driving accident. Like, like a drunk driver had killed her parents. And one guy had been like molested as a child. And one guy had been, I don't know. There, there was one person that, that knew someone, uh, cousins of the, defendant or something like that there were there were people that had some connections and those people were eventually let go there were people that were worried about having panic attacks and anxiety attacks and they did talk about some of some of the evidence that would be presented was gonna be pretty graphic and there were a lot of people a couple people that said they they couldn't tolerate that there were some people that uh felt that uh, then they got into the nitty-gritty of things basically um (laughs) this was where i it got really interesting you know, there's not very many people that are going to admit to you that they can be away from work for two weeks. And it was so basically it was a financial hardship for everyone. Um, like they probably lost. If the first people that were picked were what, 14 and 12, so 26, I'll bet they lost at least 22 of the first the first 26 that were names were drawn, whether it was a physical thing. Uh, a couple of people couldn't hear well, but a lot of it was they were uncomfortable being on this thing for financial hardship. Like, so they had to then draw more names. It was crazy. They had to draw more names, do more of the questioning. And with, okay, so so the first, the crazy thing was like they drew the people, and then the the prosecutor started talking, asking lots and lots and lots of questions. And as it turned out, that prosecutor talked and asked questions of the jury, the potential jury pool. Until lunch, like well, they broke at noon, and I think they started at nine or something like that. So this guy talked for like two and a half hours. It was brutal. And in the beginning, when the judge was talking about the case, I was thinking to myself, "This would be interesting. I, I kind of want to be a juror. This would be interesting." In the back of my mind, I'm going, "Yeah, two weeks though. That'd be that'd be a lot to be away from the office. But this might be a once in a lifetime thing to to be on a, a, a jury for a murder case." <laughs> the more the prosecutor talked. The more I'm like, I don't know if I don't I don't know if I have it in me to do this. It was boring. It's boring as all get out. And so then we broke for lunch and we came back, and then the defense attorney started to talk, and also asking questions of the jury whether they thought they could be unbiased, whether they understood what presumed innocent meant, all this stuff. More. And I have to say, I was enamored by the defense attorney. I thought he was really interesting and fun to talk to. So I'm thinking to myself, well, if I'm going to end up on this stupid jury, at least I find this guy interesting and and uh, kind of captivating to talk to. I thought he was a really good, really good at, at just addressing the jury. He had a really good manner. He wasn't funny per se, but he had a pretty gentle manner, and and he he was very self deprecating. And I texted I texted my brother in law, who'd been like I said, he was a judge for six years. I gave him the guy's name. I said, so what do you know about this guy? I kind of like him. And he said, oh yeah, I really like him, but and he's he's tough. He's really good. So it sounds like, sounds like he was presenting himself really well, but it sounds like he's a really tough defense attorney, which, which would have been interesting to be honest. If you're on a jury, I think that part being the prosecution seemed relatively straightforward, kind of boring. The defense seemed interesting. Uh, and since I didn't honestly, God know anything about the case, I literally had no, no biases either way. It was kind of, kind of interesting. So, um, but that guy talked for like another hour and a half too, after lunch. And you're thinking to yourself, God, how long am I going to be here? I haven't even been chosen for the freaking jury pool like I, I've made it through the first several rounds of names being called and I and I still haven't been there but we had to be there because they were dismissing people once they started once they started dismissing people they started dismissing a bunch of people like I said 
I think the first round of dismissals was like 22 of the first 26 people or something like that. Then they had to draw more people up, ask more questions. They went through that several rounds of that. And, uh, wow, that was really, it was really stressful because you're like, okay, am I going to get pulled up for this thing? And I was going back and forth between whether I wanted that or not, actually. I didn't, I was, it was hard. But lo and behold, I was, by the end, I was exhausted listening to these guys talk. I'm thinking, man, I got to deal with two weeks of that. I thought that was going to be really tough. So in the end, I was not selected as a juror. But interestingly, I did cancel the whole day. Like, I did not know I was going to be off the hook until like 3.30 that afternoon. So we started at, you know, I got there at like 8.30 in the morning. I know till 3.30 in the afternoon that I wasn't going to be on the jury. So that was exciting. That was my that was the story that I got. Now that I've had jury duty, uh, that's my story. And the best news was <laughs> at 3.30, I still had to call later that day at 5.30 to see if there was another, like, basically, you keep calling that evening to see if they need you the next day until they tell you that they don't. So, the best news I had after that was at 5.30, we called in and they said that your jury duty had been terminated, you're, you, you've served your service, and thank you. So I don't have to call anymore for October. So that was the first and only time I've been called for jury duty, and it was a full day of, of I would say, in retrospect, pretty interesting, a little bit a little bit exciting because it was a, a an exciting trial, a murder trial, and, and then it was kind of like once I was going through the process, I'm like, man, this is going to be really tough on a guy who's got a relatively short attention span. So, so that all told, I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't on the jury. I'm glad that I had the experience, but frankly, I'm also glad that I'm kind of back to my regular day to day. I'd been doing a lot of traveling and missing quite a bit of work anyhow. And then lo and behold, I had to miss work for, for jury duty. So like, I'd never been so grateful to just be back at like a normal few days of work. I know that sounds silly for as much as I complain about it. I really, you know, I have a great team to work with and I, on the whole, I have really nice patients. And frankly, it was, a, it was a really nice thing to have a regular week. So that was pretty cool. But something that I walked away with this, this trial, this, this whole trial jury thing that is a little more alarming to me, a little bit sad for me is when you're, you know, in a jury selection situation, it's kind of like, um, just a selection of, of society. It kind of is a cross section. I mean, there's no, basically if you're a citizen and maybe registered to vote, or if you're just a citizen, uh, you can get called. So like just looking around this big room full of people as potential jurors, it was like for sure at least 50% or more of these people, you could kind of tell couldn't really manage their own lives. You know, and these are adults, right? These are adults that and you could tell when they were talking and talking to them in the jury selection part that like them being away from work for even a day or two was going to be a real, real challenge for them. Like, like these people were the, for sure the ones living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, if if you've ever heard of anyone living paycheck to paycheck, it was these kinds of people, not all of them, but I mean a lot of them. And they made it perfectly clear that they just could not be away from work for any period of time because they would lose their job. Like their employer was not going to hold their job for them. They were so, it was a little sad, and I think to myself, these are people that could show up in my office as patients, and it is no wonder if they're literally work, you know, they're living their life paycheck to paycheck. Dentistry is expensive for them. I mean, I I get it, I understand. I mean, like you know, if they don't have insurance, they're not going to have. They don't have money to spend on dentistry. <laughs> like like I and I I could kind of tell you could these people had sort of a, a blind panic in their eyes when it when. You know, the judge is looking at him saying, you're going to have to be here for two weeks. You know, they they literally, I'm like, how am I going to do that? So that's a little sad. 
Um, I know everyone, you know, <laughs> there's always news stories about how, you know, 90% of society is, you know, live, literally working paycheck to paycheck and, you know, has doesn't have $300 in their checking account. This, but you could definitely see that. You could definitely see that. So I'm thinking to myself, it's a little sad that so many adults in our society are literally not really doing a good job of, like, managing their own life. It's kind of crazy. So, again, I'm grateful for the profession that allows me to be at least slightly better than that. I don't think two weeks for a jury trial would have been excellent for me, but at very least it would have been doable for me. So, I mean, I, I would have been able to make do. Um, but I was not chosen as a juror, even though I think I would have been a perfect juror because I knew nothing. I, I went in there. I just didn't have a clue about anything they were going to be talking about. I hadn't heard anything about the I hadn't heard anything about the, the case. I didn't know anything. So it was interesting. I would love to hear your jury duty stories if you have any. If you have any questions or comments about that, um, email me at alan, A-L-A-N, at the Alan Meat Experience. If you have any questions, comments about the show, or suggestions for who I should have on or whatever, uh, that would be fantastic. So the second thing I want to talk to you about a little bit, um, I know I've, I've talked about on the Dental Hacks, and probably this show too, that I am a big fan of dental operating microscopes. I have four of them, and I have so two in my the operatories that I work out of, and two in my hygiene rooms. And everyone thinks it's crazy that I have them in my hygiene rooms, but I have really, they've been there for a couple years now, a couple, three years maybe. Um, so what I do with them is, uh, it's, it's really kind of cool. I have worked a system that works for me. I'm still refining it, but so I do all my recall exams and my new patient exams through the microscope, and I, I record them like the cameras that I have mounted on the scope, it's pretty cool because the ca- I use these Sony A6, the Alpha 6000 cameras. They're, they're nice cameras, um, but they're small. They're not big or anything like that, and they, they go right onto the adapter of the microscope, and they can take still shots, which and the still shots, when you focus them well, are quite good, and they can also take video directly onto an SD card. And the video is excellent. Um, photos are really good. The video is excellent, but... So, I, so I'm routinely recording recall exams. And interestingly, right now, I am not recording with sound. And my office manager thinks I'm crazy not to do that. I really want sound because I could literally be explaining to the patient and to myself what I'm seeing while it's recording. It'd be live. It would be really useful. But I like to have the HDMI feed from the camera go to a monitor so the patient can actually see me as I'm doing the, see the exam as it's happening. And I can narrate that. That's great. But the problem is, is that I don't. I haven't been able to figure out how to make it so that the what the camera is picking up through their microphone doesn't get fed to the TVs too. So what happens is you get this feedback. Like if I say anything with the with the the sound recording on, it goes to the TVs and then it picks it picks it up in the microphone of the camera. It's a feedback loop, and so it screeches. You know, so I can't I can't really use that very effectively. Um, I got to figure out a way to make it so that the sound doesn't get sent to the TVs, but yet it's still recorded. I'm still working on that. That would be kind of a perfect situation. But so I've been doing this for a while. And as I've mentioned before, it, it seems like a great plan. I don't use the video very much though. Like I can go back and look at it. And there have been times it's been really, really helpful for like insurance companies that want to know. I might not have taken a pre-op photo of a tooth or whatever, but literally I can go back and I, I have a video and this video is HD. So you can literally like do a screen cap of the video and it's as good as a still still photo. It's re- really cool. Um, but I used it 
so what happens when I have a new patient comes in, comes in, I do this exam and typically what I'll do is I'll do a kind of an extraoral head and neck exam first. And you can't really see that part of the exam. The, the, the lens is close enough in that you're not really seeing any, any detail of the head and neck exam, but you get in, once you get intraoral, you're doing lips, cheeks, tongue, you know, under the tongue, roof of the mouth, all the, all the soft tissue stuff you would do in the mouth. You can see that just as clear as day. It's very cool. Um, so I can be describing that stuff too. And then you can see all the teeth as well. And you can see periodontal probing. You can see, you can see, you can do as much as you want to in this video that you, you want to. This is one of the reasons I, I love doing perio probing in this. Now, perio probing on someone who's periodontally healthy is not super exciting, uh, for them, but <laughs> long story short. So I am using, uh, perio wise probes from premier dental products. Um, I know I've talked about them before. I don't know if I've talked about them here on the Dental Hacks, but they are basically, uh, they're a plastic, a white plastic probe, and you can get them with different markings. But what's really cool is that, like, they'll have three millimeters and under are, are sort of a green color for the tip, and then, you know, deeper than that are are marked with, with red hashes or red. So basically, it's really cool because if it's in the green, then your pocket depths are within healthy range. And if it's any, if it's, if you can't see the green, that means they're in trouble, which is really cool. But, but perio wise is, you know, I don't think that they figured that patients would necessarily be watching you do this, but when I do these exams, they are watching me do this. And it's, it's really cool. Like in the same way that when you yell out numbers, three, four, three, you know, three, one, three, two, two, like patients hear that over and over again. And then as soon as you start hearing, you know, six, seven, patients always ask you, so what, what do those numbers mean? You know, but, and that's cool, but you're, they're still, they're still only just hearing you, hearing you or the hygienist yell out numbers when they're looking at what you're doing in the microscope and you're just measuring with this perio wise probe and it goes and the green disappears and then the tissue starts bleeding or something like that. Uh, it's pretty powerful stuff, right? And it's, it's, it's a visual that the patient is seeing clear as day. You don't have to say anything about it. You can say something about it whenever you want to, but you don't have to say anything because they're seeing green and red. And they're, it's really neat. It's a very, very powerful signal you're giving them. But the other thing that's really cool about these periodized probes is they're very narrow and they're a little flexible because they're plastic. They're not metal. And I've had three patients in the last week tell me how it was the most comfortable perio probing they've ever had because they've been probed before and they know that it's it's kind of it kind of hurts you know when you're even, when you're doing it right you're doing it firm enough it's a little sensitive it can be sensitive and some people it is some people it isn't but um, people that have you know mentioned to me that it was sensitive in the past really found this to be much more comfortable i got to tell you i i don't think there's a better probe out there and it it just makes me tickled that premier supports the show because I love a lot of their stuff. And this Periwise probe I've been using for a long time. I had them, I had them years ago. Um, cause you can use them as if you like to do the PSR, which I know a lot of people think is the most horrible thing in the world, but the periodontal screening record I think is a really, is a really smart and, and wise thing to do. It's a, it can be a great time saver, but these things were sort of ma- invented originally maybe to be part of the PSR. I'm not sure. Exactly. They're not the official PSR probes. But they, they sort of have that. If you want to use it like that, they certainly can. But but you can easily do a full mouth probing with them too. And I honestly, it's much quicker with the color coding, much quicker. So the, the probes are called PerioWise. I highly recommend that you check them out. They are literally one of like my favorite pieces of, 
of diagnostic equipment in these exams because it's so powerful. Like I can show the other thing that I use um, routinely during my exams, new patient exams, is I use something I call the clown mirror. It's not a premier product, but the clown mirror is a two-inch uh, mouth mirror. It's rhodium plated, so it's a nice mirror. They're they're not inexpensive. I think I get them. I get them from G Hartzell and Sons, which I think is now owned by Denmat. They're they're pretty they're pretty expensive, but they're huge. They look like I call them clown mirrors because they're like as big as clown shoes. You know, they're they're humongous. But in a microscope, what it looks like, it makes everything you're seeing in the mirror look like it's on an HD TV. It's amazing. They're they're just bright. They're it's crazy because I've never used a mouth mirror outside of the Zerk HD uh, mirrors. Besides this clown mirror that that was so bright in the microscope, in any case, so these these are the two the two things I love the most for diagnostic in the in the microscope are the periowise probe and this clown mirror, this two inch clown mirror, really cool stuff. Uh, again, they're not Zerk either. I wish Zerk made a two inch clown mirror. That would be like the greatest thing ever. But I so far I've had no luck pushing Zerk to do that. Anyhow, so I do these videos routinely, and I have it down to kind of a system when I'm doing it well when I'm when I'm a lot of times I can do this exam without thinking very hard about it. I go from, you know, I go from extraoral to intraoral soft tissues then and then, you know, get the clown mirror, look at the roof of the mouth, then I start, you know, I start in the upper right quadrant, move my way around looking at the teeth. I can do it pretty quickly, pretty efficiently. And what I found is that I, I like that. I like having that systematic approach. Well, so I had a new patient consult uh on Thursday actually. And Typically, I don't use these videos during that. Typically, I, I go through the video, I go through the, the x-rays, any photos we've taken, kind of formulate a plan, and then I just sort of talk through my formulation of plan. This time, I just went ahead and, and put the video up. I had like, the video was kind of in the front part of the screen, and but behind behind the video, if I wanted to, were, were x-rays. I had a full mouth set and a pano and, and all this stuff. And I will tell you what, this was the most effective and most easy consultation I've ever had. I had a videotape that I could just narrate. I had a video of me examining his teeth and I could just narrate it. And whenever there was a question or I could just stop the video, I could go to the x-ray, I could explain what was going on. And it was really fun. It did not take a lot of like, it didn't take a bunch of preparation for me to do this well. And, and it was really cool. It was not me being the doctor telling him what he needed and all this. It was me sort of like being the, uh, if you, if you ever watched like a movie, that had had a director's cut in the background where where instead of hearing the the sound from the movie you heard you know the director or the actors talking about the making of the movie it was like me giving my own director's cut of this movie of the exam that I did in his mouth it was really cool and i have to tell you that it was the most effortless treatment plan i've ever made because the patient was truly they always talk about co-diagnosis and it sounds so cheesy to me when they say that but the patient was right there working along with me. It was it was really cool. Like I felt like a doctor. I told him I said, "Here's the thing. I see some stuff that I would probably recommend treatment for. You can do all of it, you can do none of it, you can do some of it. I don't care. It's I'm I'm happy to help you on whatever level you want. I just want you to know that it doesn't matter to me what you follow through with, but since I'm a doctor, it's important for me to show you what I'm seeing." And this video is literally the very best way for me to do that. I've never, ever run into anything. And I've, I've been using, I've been taking these videos forever. And I've never literally just sat down with a patient in a consult room with like no pressure. We were just sitting at a table and looking at this video. I've never done that before. And it was really powerful. It was really fun. And and the dude signed up. I think he did like, I think we got like four fillings and five crowns or something. And he's just there. He's just going to do it because he saw it all. And this is a guy 
I wouldn't have bet that he was going to sign up for something like this. He's paying out of pocket. He doesn't have insurance, and or if he does, it's lousy. And he just, but he's like, I, I see, I need it. You know, I can see. So it was super powerful. And I'm going to tell you that um, uh, intraoral cameras are not the same. It's just not the same. I, I would argue that a DSLR, like a series of DSLR photos, they're not the same either. This video is so is so credible, and and the other thing that's funny, I didn't do that good of a job with the with the the actual cinematography, if you will. You know, like a bunch of mirror shots were were kind of either they were fogged up or they weren't focused real well, or better than that, like there's a, an effect on on one of my scopes at the lowest magnification. They call it vignetting, and basically it's like uh, what you're seeing in the 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 ocular is different. What I'm seeing in the oculars that I look through through the microscope is different than what the camera's giving. The camera's, it's like a, there's like a round cutout of what I'm seeing. Now, once you bump it up, the next level of magnification, that vignetting goes away. But I didn't use very much of the, the second level of magnification on the exam. For whatever reason, I forgot to do that. So the thing was vignetted. It wasn't even as good as it could have been. And I'm realizing I need to concentrate more on how good my focus is and and how if i'm going to use this after the fact i need to i need to be actually like as i've said before and i think i said on the dental guys you actually have to be a dental cinematographer you have to make this movie compelling you know it's it isn't it isn't that you're you're selling it it's that you have to be able to show the patient everything that you're seeing and so if it's you know if you're not seeing it as clearly on the screen as i'm seeing it in my eyes i'm not telling the story well enough so i'm coming to realize that my my skill set is going to have to get a little better if I'm going to be using this. But I have to say, it was super. It's silly. I can't even believe I'm this excited about. It. I've been using it for years, but it was super fun to just like walk through the tour of the movie of this person's oral health. It was it was shockingly cool, and it was like the least sell job I've ever done in my entire life. Right, like like all of the the heavy lifting was done by the fact that I had a I was just narrating the tour. It was so cool. I. So I am a huge fan of dental operating microscopes. I love it when I can do procedures in the scope, but I won't lie to you. I don't do, I do a lot of, I probably do at least half or maybe more of my procedures through loops and not through the scope. A lot of times I'll do parts of the procedure through the scope. And then, and then depending on how much, uh, how much movement I have to do sometimes, or if it's a lower molar, the scopes are really tough with lower molars, but making this movie of their, of their mouth and their oral health during the exam is getting to be I'm getting pretty good at that, and it's pretty powerful. And I don't know anyone else who's doing it. And so I just I just thought I would tell you guys about it. I know that if anyone's interested in microscopes and wants to hear more, feel free to email me, alan at the Um I'm convinced someday I'm going to get a microscope company to build a scope that's less expensive because you really only need two stages of magnification for this. You don't need the super-duper high mag. It just You just don't find that necessary. When you're making a you know, a movie of the patient's mouth. You don't need that kind of magnification. So you could have like a step or two of magnification, have a, have a, a decent camera built into it and just have it, have like a stripped down model for hygiene. So you're not paying 20,000 or $30,000 for a microscope. Um, I think it's a great idea. And I do think honestly, when you're learning the microscope, your hygiene room is the very best place for you to have it because you have to be able to see all parts of the mouth to be able to, to make this movie. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't, you can't say, well, I just don't do very well on the buckles of, you know, lower molars or something like that. You got to be able to show them everything. And so your skills with using the microscope get better because you're, you have to be able to show them every part of the mouth really well. So it's, 
it's a win-win, man. I'm telling you, I love it. I, I've been a, I've been a, an enthusiast for microscopes for a long time. Everyone knows that, but but I don't think I've used them as effectively as I have since I started using them in the hygiene rooms. So uh, I would love if you have any questions or comments about this. I'm happy to talk about it basically till I'm blue in the face. Uh, but I think I'll let you guys go. This was this was a fun episode. I really I, I kind of love talking about my jury duty thing, and I love I can talk about microscopes all day long. So. If you guys have any questions or comments for me or suggestions, again, alan at theallenmeatexperience.com. Uh, if you get a chance, go to whatever you're using to listen to podcasts, whether it's the podcast app on an iPhone or iTunes on your computer or Stitcher or whatever, and leave me a review. I would be, I would be so tickled if, if you'd leave me a review because uh, it helps me. Honestly, it helps me climb the ranks on iTunes so people can... I, for whatever reason, I'm kind of down in the ranks in the dental podcasting section for the Alan Media Experience. The Dental Hacks always does really well there, but I, I'm still climbing, and I'd love people to be able to find me there. But also tell a friend. If you like this and, and you think it would be helpful for them, tell a friend. Uh, let them know about the show. Let them know how to, how to download a, pop, a podcast. A lot of people don't even know how to do that. And definitely join the Alan Media Experience Facebook group. We're having a pretty good time over there, but you'll have to know the password, and the password is Premier. And... Uh, Jeez, thanks a ton for listening. I appreciate it. I, I, these these one-man show things, I never know if people are going to like them or not. But this one went by really quickly for me because I'm super excited about what I was talking about. So uh, we will talk to you guys again very soon. And again, thank you very much for listening. 